Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, where we are undergoing a bit of a revamp, which we'll be explaining to you later. But I'm Steve Law, and I'm joined by Jerry McCauley. Hello. Good holiday? Lovely, thank you. Lovely and hot. There we go. Uh, James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Okay, so James, are you going to explain to people what this revamp is? Okay, yeah. Email, um, so. Yeah, no. T- <laughs> typical. I send that. Do you know what? These guys get pummeled with ridiculously long emails from me, and I'm terrible. Um, but yeah, new revamp, uh, new look to the Fail Critics podcast. Essentially, uh, we're trying to improve it in a number of ways. First way is we're trying some weird newfangled experiment in sound quality. So maybe as you're listening to this, you've already thought, hang on, this sounds like. They're all in the same continent. That's that's great. Owen doesn't sound like he's using dial-up at the moment. Brilliant. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Um, but the other thing we're doing is we're revamping the format slightly, listening to what our loyal listeners have told us about things that they'd like, things that they think we're missing. And we're trying to be a little bit different from some of the other podcasts out there. So we're going to bring you a few more features about slightly offbeat topics, um, interesting things that you wouldn't just get on your typical mainstream podcast that just talk about the same old Hollywood stuff being churned out. So we're going to do some different things and we're going to change up our reviews a little bit. We're not going to have a main review anymore. We're just going to talk about new releases in the cinema uh, separate from our our usual what we've been watching as well, which we'll now be able to devote a little bit more to classics that we missed the first time round or terrible films that we think you should avoid, that kind of thing. Um, and the quiz will be back, relaunched next week, and there'll actually be something to play for, but there'll be more details about that next week. Okay. Um, fantastic. So, the news this week then. There's only really one piece of news that we can start this podcast off with. We did a little feature about it on the Fell Critics website at fellcritics.com last week, but the news uh, that sent Twitter into meltdown that Ben Affleck, of all people, has been cast as uh, Batman, the Dark Knight, Bruce Wayne, in the new Superman film, which is due out summer 2015, and then hot on the heels of that, just earlier today, um, Kind of almost a, the biggest open secret, the most obvious um, piece of news since we were all expecting Gareth Bale to join Real Madrid is that Brian Cranston has been cast as Lex Luthor, which I think is 
possibly the only choice uh, to play Lex Luthor. And apparently signed up for six movies in some shape or form. So that's quite a big bit of casting there. So Yeah, didn't I read as well or was it here on Twitter or something that Ben Affleck's going to make 13 appearances as Batman? Is that right? right I, I haven't seen that one. Appearances. Goodness me. Lot. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to like... Um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Avengers and appearing in right, other things. Okay, yeah. So he's just got to make an appearance, so it could be an end credits yeah. thing. But yeah, I'm sure I read it was 13 or 14 films, and it's okay, just... Okay, interesting. That is, that is a lot of appearances. And it does make... Do you know what? It really does make me think that when they finally get round to... when and Which they inevitably will get round to making some more Batman films, Affleck's got to be in the driving seat to direct those as well, hasn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, he was rumoured to do the uh, Justice League film, wasn't he? Mm. And he yeah. apparently turned it down. Yeah. You know, maybe... Maybe it's different now, yeah. Yeah, maybe he's had his head turned slightly. But, yeah. but he might also just want a break from the, the films. If he's doing 13 appearances as Batman, part of his deal, I think, to sign up to play um, Batman was to get finance for his own film, similar to Nolan, I guess, with okay, Batman yeah. films. So he might just want to... Play Batman, make some money, but also then have the freedom to make the other big budget films he wants to make. You know. Okay. So, so for those uh, listeners who maybe haven't seen the article that we wrote, then um, quick fours and against uh, Affleck's casting. I'll be honest. I woke up in the morning, and, uh, and my wife said to me, uh, "Yeah, you know, I was getting up, and she said, oh, Ben Affleck's been cast. Oh, yeah, that seems good. Yeah, that seems sensible. Yeah." I quite like that. And then I went on to Twitter and saw there'd been an absolute meltdown. And I'll be honest, I was genuinely stunned. <laughs> oh, uh, it's just uh, to me, sweaty nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but to me... It, it, quite literally, it just... I was in Spain sweating and you told me that via email. Yeah. Well, I was quite literally a sweaty nerd getting up <laughs> raped by this. Yeah, and, and, and it was quite funny because I, I then sent... Just giving you an idea behind the inner workings of the website and podcast, I sent out my little bat signal email to all writers saying, right, I want, I want a few words on your thoughts on this. And Owen's first reply was, what the fuck? And, you know, that was the first Owen had heard, and he didn't sound happy. It was, a, yeah, proper one of those JFK 9-11 moments. <laughs> I remember I was in bed, I leant over, I checked my phone, oh, the sweat dripping off me. No, I thought it was... I, yeah, I, I think I made my point on the website. Mm. Ben Affleck is a decent actor, sometimes good actor. Uh, like in Argo, he was pretty good. I think he'll probably play Bruce Wayne quite well. I'm a little less convinced how well he'll be playing Batman, because, you know, they're very different types of characters he's got. Mm. One's a really menacing, intimidating, um, virgin on psychopathic nutcase. And... Mm. So how well he's going to convince in that role, I don't know. And one, one of the will he do the voice? <laughs> will he do the voice? <sighs> yeah, but um, it's yeah. I think it's a slightly strange choice, and I've got a feeling that it's just a, a little bit, a little bit of it is because he's sort of flavour of the moment, isn't he? At the minute, people seem to like him because of Argo, and he's got a lot of Hollywood buzz about him. Well, I thought that, but then all of a sudden, as soon as he got cast in Batman, everyone was saying what a shit actor he was, and everyone was bringing up <laughs> Giggly and uh, Daredevil as if the last ten years hadn't happened. But I think not a shit actor. 
I think that's a, that's an overreaction. But is he the right actor to play Batman? That's right. Yeah. Mm, probably. And I think I think Mel Gibson would have been great. <laughs> he probably yeah. Well, that was the other thing that was quite annoying about casting Ben Affleck, wasn't it? We were teased with getting like a Dark Knight Returns type of Batman, mm. an older sort of grizzled and you know almost retired and having to drag himself out of retirement sort of Batman and instead we've gone for the good looking you know younger type Batman I know Ben Affleck's not that young anymore but he's still quite baby faced compared to the the old Batman we were all expecting basically basically going on from my Mel Gibson theme you actually wanted someone like Murtar from Lethal Weapon saying I'm too old for this shit just all the time (laughs) Yeah. yeah Well, it's a bit like the, yeah, the, oh, they they're saying they're going in the Dark Knight Returns kind of direction with it, aren't they? So you need a, a an older Batman. Mm. He's maybe a bit softer. You know, he's not some physical machine like Bale is. You know, he's older. He's retired. He's come back. And but doesn't that make the idea of him fighting Superman even more ridiculous? Well. <laughs> No, because <laughs> he's he's a master tactician, isn't he? That's and he'll have, his super, he'll have Superman repellent spray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should have just got Adam West if you want an old. Yeah, knack that would have been that, that would have been, been the best. Can you imagine what, will... what Twitter would have been like if it? <laughs> it would have been half in love with the idea and half absolutely shocked at the yeah. idea. I know. But what I will say though, Affleck has got the chin for a Batman. At least given that Maybe he's got an almighty chin. <laughs> Yeah, he has got an almighty Batman-esque chin, and maybe that. So yeah, well, yeah, well, I suppose we'll see. What uh, what you can always say is that no one thought Michael Keaton would make a good Batman, and I I think Michael Keaton made a very good I'll Batman. Who I would have liked for it. Carl Urban would have been good for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and he's got a chin. That's a it's a hell of a chin. We saw him yeah, in Dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bit similar. Maybe his Batman would be a bit too similar to Dread, though. He, he got the chin. He's got that, and he can do the voice. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, no, that, no, that's true. I'd be, I'd be more worried about Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor because it's really because he's in everything now. He's ev- you can't get rid of him, and he's very hit and miss. Like there's yeah. obviously some things where he's fantastic, Breaking Bad and, and Malcolm in the Middle and the odd other thing. But there's, there's just as many things now where he's just absolute wank. I think that's harsh. Oh yeah, no, he was shit in Rock of Ages, but no one was good. Um, Paul Giamatti was shit in Rock of Ages. Total Total Recall didn't think he was very good. Total Recall again. I what and it's something I said on Twitter earlier. I think he he needs a right he needs the right script. If he's given a good script, he's fantastic. But it just it just and and most actors will look shit with a bad script. It just seems to me though they've gone. Well, who's flavour of the month? Brian Cranston. Oh, he shaved his head as well. Perfect. <laughs> There's definitely an element of that. Um, but who, again, who who else would you get to play instead of Brian Cranston? I don't then? know. Just <laughs> get Benedict Cumberbatch to shave his head. He's quite a menacing bloke, isn't he? In Star Trek, shave his head off, and we'll be laughing. British villains everywhere. I I know I did. Brian Cranston seems to be a popular choice, um, and it does seem to have been the only, uh, the only name that anyone was talking about. But I, I agree with you that he's had some, he's been in some not great films with some not great performances. But I, most of that time, I'd argue that's because they've cast 
Uh, they they could have cast anyone in that role, and it's really difficult to sometimes make that role your own with such a bland script as they had with, say, Total Recall. Whenever he's been given something to work with, he's always been brilliant. So, to me, that's the caveat with Brian Cranston is, um, is there going to be a good script for the next Superman film? Maybe, maybe we'll find out. Um, and then the other the small bit of news that got me quite excited was that Tony Jaa has been cast for uh, Fast and Furious 7, which is now shaping up to looking like it wants to start to rival the Expendables in terms mm. of action stars. It's packing it, you know, because Tony Jaa is fucking got, excellent. He is, and it's and it, do you know what? It's really good to see him doing something a bit, you know, you know a bit big budget, uh, which will put him back out there again in front of huge numbers of cinema goers, uh, alongside people like Vin Diesel. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and uh, The State. I'm just very, very excited now, but and and I'm unreasonably excited because it's not it's not a te- it, well it's not a classic series of movies, but I, really? it's got a soft spot. I've got I've got a real soft spot for the fast films, and I think this could be brilliant fun. <laughs> so yeah, that's it for news. Really, it's just some lots of casting news. Um, yeah. So, oh, and sadly, Empire Screen One today was demolished. Um, and for those of you who don't know, it's the uh, largest uh, non-IMAX screen in the UK and one of the largest non-IMAX screens in the world. It was. It has hosted loads of film premieres. It's uh, in London's West End, and it sadly disappeared today because they've had to cut it in two at least. Uh, and so, a huge iconic piece of cinema architecture has disappeared from our streets today and uh it's like to say that i think that's quite sad yeah unlucky fancy london types back <laughs> down with the rest of us <laughs> the small screens in comes the northern <laughs> there we go that's all for the first part in part two what we've been watching What we've been watching then, uh, I haven't really watched anything this week um, at all, which really is putting my place on this podcast in jeopardy. <laughs> Such a pro- it's a good job you're so good looking. Next <laughs> or something. Next next week, I promise I'll watch five films, including one new release. Wow! Excellent. And only talk about two of them because that's what I'm allowed to talk about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, James can kick us off in a second. Uh, yeah, so this week uh, I watched a new, well, it's a new release on Video On Demand, uh, so I want to have a quick chat about that. Last week I spoke about a few documentaries that I watched, so I've been in a little bit of a documentary mood, uh, and this is another documentary that was released here, I think in May, and I watched it using EE's Film Store, but I'm pretty sure it's available in places like Flinkbox, other Video On Demand uh, areas. It's called Beware of Mr. Baker. It's a rock documentary, basically, about Ginger Baker, who was the drummer in Cream and Blind Faith in the 60s. And then he kind of launched his own solo career for a bit. And then he went to live in Africa. And he's he's one of those classic self-destructive rock drummers. Although if you called him a rock drummer, he would literally hit you in the face with a walking stick. He is... It's, it's a really interesting documentary because it is not just about his music, but him as a man. And it's quite honest about how the fact that he's a shit, basically. Um, 
And even his family pretty much talked that way. Just to give you a bit of background to how the documentary came about, it's directed and written by a guy called Jay Bolger, who heard stories of this legendary drummer in the 60s, um, Ginger Baker, and thought, oh, he must be dead, like all great drummers and musicians from the 60s and 70s, he must be dead, and found out he wasn't living, he was living in Africa, and he just wrote to him, and blagged an interview with him. He said, I'm writing an article on you for Rolling Stone magazine. Can I come out and interview you? And he went and lived with him for a bit. And at this point, it was a complete blag. He ended up writing this fantastic article, which Rolling Stone, ironically, picked up and put on their cover one year. Then two years later, he decided, no, I need to make a film about this man. So he went back to South Africa and made a film. And this documentary is conversations with ginger baker and then other people in his life and other famous musicians about the work of ginger baker but also about the man that ginger baker is and firstly it does give you a real sense of era gives you a real sense of how important ginger baker was in terms of his influence on future rock musicians for those of you who are you know, listen to people like Ed Sheeran and stuff like that, all that kind of young, young music. Yeah, ugh. Right, okay, Cream were basically a group in the 60s made up of the three best musicians on their instruments in rock music at the time. Okay, so you had Ginger Baker on drums, Jack Bruce on bass guitar, and Eric Clapton on lead guitar. When Jimi Hendrix came over to England he wanted to jam with them because they were seen as the pinnacle of rock music at the time. They were only together for two years and they created some of the most amazing music in that time. What we get with this documentary is we get some of the story of how the band got together with some great rock um, anecdotes uh, and the fact that Jack Bruce, the bass player and Ginger Baker the drummer hated each other during this entire time and Eric Clapton was kind of caught in the middle there and you've got this classic tragic story of a band that pretty much as soon as they got together started disintegrating but through all of that made some of the finest music uh, of the era and of all time uh, they, they, you know, the band split up and they went their separate ways and you get, you get an idea of where Ginger Baker went with his music he's very influenced by jazz and he makes it really clear that he's not a rock drummer and he, he actually physically attacks the interviewer at one point um for calling him a drummer he, he's a musician he was brought up in, in jazz um and that was very really very important to him he also went out to africa and started promoting kind of african drum before anyone else in mainstream western music really connected with africa he was a real pioneer in some ways he even had a recording studio in nigeria in the 70s which was closed down and destroyed by the government there at the time really really interesting man uh also weirdly into polo he got massively into polo at one point he's from like he's, he's from the east end of london got massively into polo and he blew all his money on polo sh shipping polo ponies out to south africa and things like that an incredibly obnoxious man at times, um, quite happy to slag off people like John Bonham of Led Zeppelin and Keith Moon as being all right, uh, but they, they couldn't swing. They couldn't swing a sack of shit is what he says at one point about that. Yeah, he, he, he does just speak his mind. Um, but then you get interviews with his family going, his children going, yeah, it probably would have been better off for him if we'd never been born. Yeah, really quite... A dark documentary in some ways and 
but very interesting because you do get the idea that you can admire the creative work of someone while thinking that they're absolute bastards as people. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of that and we kind of lionise our heroes. Uh, but the people behind some of our favourite work, the people behind some of our favourite music, behind some of our favourite films are actually complete, but, you know, complete assholes. And sometimes I think we maybe need to be reminded of that, that these geniuses that do this, they're just normal people, which means some of them are quite nice. Eric Clapton comes across very well in this um, documentary. Some of them are absolute twats, basically. And Ginger Baker's one of them. And he makes no apologies for it either. He doesn't really try and hide it. He just is who he is. So it's a really interesting documentary about a great period of music, about definitely a character that deserves to be explored via the medium of film. And anyone who's got an interest in that kind of music or rock documentaries in general, I think you'd really, really enjoy this. And it, it's definitely it's up there in terms of my favourite documentaries I've seen this year. Also, just as a drummer, I have to say, Ginger Baker is fucking awesome. He is incredible. And you get to see some really great archive footage of him, not just when he was in Cream and in Blind Faith, but after he left those bands, he decided to have drum battles against the best jazz drummers of the time. You get to see him just just incredibly... He, he sounds like he's going at 500 beats a minute kind of thing. And he says it's actually... It's just because he uses every single limb of his body in perfect time. And that's real, another really interesting thing about documentaries... He judges people on whether they've got good time. Well, he's, like, he's got a good groove. You know, he, he yeah. jazz and stuff. He, he, exactly, and he, he was brought up in that tradition. But it's really interesting. When he talks to it, he doesn't say, oh, they were nice, oh, they were great. Uh, did they have time or not? That seems to be his overriding thing of how he just... Uh, he's, he's friends with them because they could keep time. He seems to be that singular about his his musicianship, and it's it's very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, certainly you're not going to come out of it liking Ginger Baker. He's he's a he's a dick. But fuck, what a drummer! It's, it's interesting that he criticised Bonham because Bonham was, you know, he was quite strongly influenced by Ginger Baker. Mm. You can tell, and pretty much anybody who's into metal, if you've not listened to Cream or Ginger Baker's drum yeah. solos, like metal drumming ever since then is yeah. kind of reliant on something. Egg, that, that yeah, he was doing because he, I mean, he sort of pioneered the massive kits, having yeah. five thousand symbols. He used to have double kick drums in the sixties in a fucking psychedelic rock band, which is you know, yeah. quite out there. But he was, yeah. And one of my favourite bits actually is there is uh, a small bit of an interview with Lars Ulrich, who basically talks about how he adores Ginger Baker uh, from Metallica. Uh, adores Ginger Baker says G- without Ginger Baker there wouldn't be heavy metal and then it just cuts back to Ginger Baker going heavy metal should have been aborted at birth <laughs> you can imagine what he thinks of Lars Ulrich yeah exactly and it's, he just really doesn't give one solitary shit about who looks up to him uh, it, it's it's a really really interesting and at times very funny documentary and I, yeah really recommend it okay um, Jerry what have you watched this week um well, it's not actually this week, it was before my holiday, but I went to see Wajda, right? It's a fucking crazy name, W-A-D-J-D-A, which uh, the most which none of you have probably heard of is um, the Saudi Arabian film, is what it's known as. You know, this, it's, it's just talked about because it's a Saudi Arabian film made by a Saudi Arabian woman in Saudi Arabia, for the most part, anyway, it's funded by Germans and 
mm. Britons and whatever. But um, it was ma- mostly filmed in Saudi Arabia about a young um, Saudi girl. And essentially the story is um, she she really wants a bicycle. That's like her her ambition in life is to, is to be able to buy a, this bicycle in the shop. And she, and she wants that. A lot of the reason she wants it is because girls aren't allowed to have bicycles. Um, and, you know, it, the, all the boys laugh at her and even the women, laugh, you know, say girls can't have bicycles. Uh, and so, you know, it's not proper. So she, um, essentially, the the main bit of it is, is she goes in for the Quran competition at her school uh, in order to win the prize money to buy a bike. So she's kind of subverting the system a little bit. Uh, it's really, really strong social commentary, but without being preachy, which I always like. Um, the use of the child to tell the story is what makes that happen. Essentially, because you see it through through Wajda's eyes, um, you you see what's going on around her. You see things with her mother, with her father, with her teachers, uh, with her, with her school friends, with you know the, both male and female as well. You see all these different things going on, and it's it's quite objective because it's just her, you know. And she, I mean, she goes through life. She she doesn't conform at all. Don't get me wrong, but it's not openly saying, "Oh, this is wrong. This is bad." And I think that's partly how they got it made. You know, and it's partly a pragmatic thing in that to, to get it made in Saudi Arabia and to do that, you know, you need to not be openly questioning and, and criticising. But there's a lot of good implicit criticism in it as well. Um, it's a smart film. It's not it's not the best film I've seen this year, but it's, it felt important when you were watching it. You know, it had a message. It, it got that message across quite clearly, uh, but at the same time quite cleverly and implicitly. And it was it was an engaging story. It's not massively unpredictable or anything like that, but it was engaging. I felt like I learned something from it as well about about Saudi culture. Um, and it, it's worthwhile supporting as well because it's it's it is a minor kind of film. Uh, it's been out for a while now. I went to see it at um, the showroom, the Independent Cinema in Sheffield. Um, and yes, being the absolute loser that I am, this is what I did to celebrate my birthdays. I went and watched a fucking obscure Saudi Arabian film <laughs> at an Independent Cinema. Um, but really worth a watch. I know, <laughs> such a hipster. For my anniversary, I took uh, I took my wife to see Amour. That was that was a fun anniversary evening. Yeah, just like I so, convinced yeah. my girlfriend to watch Amour as a Christmas uh, pre Christmas treat. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's that's just that's just the kind of guys we are. <laughs> the Film Critics Podcast. Um, I meant to go and see. Oh, well, I wanted to go and see this film at the Glasgow Film Festival, but I, my dates didn't quite work out, and I wasn't there when it was showing. But it got really, really good reception there as well, and everyone I've spoken to who's seen it has has really enjoyed it. And and like you have said, actually, it feels like you're watching something really important. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be patronising. It's a good film in its own right. You know, mm. and I think a lot of the fuss it's getting is because of, you know, who it's being made by and where it's being made, and I think that's a bit insulting in a way, mm. because it, it is a bit sort of, you know, Westerners. Oh, these Arabs, you know, they've not really got a cinematic mm. culture, but we, you know, they're, they're doing all right. You know, this is, it's important that women do this. Well, it's a bit. A lot of the stuff that's being written and said about it is a bit like that. But, and I suppose I am being a bit like that in saying that it's important. But, it is a good film in its own right. So you know, it's yeah. not just a film from that culture that yeah. happens to be popular. It, it's a good film. Okay. Uh, Owen, what's up for you? Okay. Uh, I talked last week about how I've watched uh, the original 1969 film, True Grit, 
featured John Wayne. I said how much I loved it at the time. I also mentioned that I hadn't seen the Coen Brothers remake yet, but that it was in the post on its way to me. Well, it arrived during the week. So uh, earlier on today, uh, whilst my internet was down, a long story that I'm not going into, I... <laughs> Is there a company we can shame on here? Let's bring some you know, pressure on them. Yeah, the post office. Never get your internet post from office. the post office. Never. Just don't even think about it. If you think, oh, that looks cheap, it's cheap for a reason. So... Just don't don't do it. I urge you, do not get your internet from the post office. Right, now that's over with. Um, yeah. Hopefully they come out and fix mine before they listen to the podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> they won't be able to listen but, to it. They can't download it. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> no download nice. speed. No, they won't. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, anyway, I watched uh, True Grit, the Coen Brothers remake. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Uh, not to repeat on something too much um, that I've already talked about uh, on the podcast last week, um, but I will quickly recap the story for those who don't know what it's about. Basically, True Grit follows a young 14-year-old girl whose father has been murdered um, by a guy who goes by a lot of different names, but is mainly called Tom Chaney in the film. She enlists the help of a US Marshal called Rooster Cogburn, who was originally the guy who John Wayne played, in the remake is played by Jeff Bridges and they team up with a Texas Ranger called Labeef who is played by Matt Damon and they go on a quest to fall into this like Indian territory that no other US Marshal will go to uh, to try and capture the murderer it's a pretty simple western story I think and uh, I made the point last week it, it, it's simple but it works it's got quite complex characters particularly um the uh, lead girl, Matty Ross, who is called, uh, who she played by, Hayley Steinfeld, uh, plays her. She's quite good. She's not really uh, as complex as she was in the original film. It seems to me, to me just to be like a copy of her. A lot of the lines were almost lifted directly from the original and just given to her to do in her own way, which she then just basically copies how it was done in the first place. Um, although this isn't a direct remake of that original film, it's, it's a an adaptation of the same novel, it does just basically copy a lot of the the, the style of the original film. Although it does have a, um, a you know a recognisable Coen Brothers uh, feel to it. I mean, it, it looks great first of all. That's the first thing you notice. It's got that familiar style that's very similar to something like No Country for Old Men. Is it? Um, it's Roger Deakins again, cinematography, isn't it? Quite possibly, I wouldn't say no. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm gonna check on that Excellent. while you carry on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, it does. It, that would explain if it's the same cin- cinematographer why it looks and feels so similar. You know, it's got that quite vast, um, you know, the quite open and expansive feel to it. You know, it's like the country that could just go on forever, um, and all the characters as well just feel quite sort of small in this surrounding. It's quite quite well shot like that and I, I like it I think it's 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 very interesting to to watch um, the actor Roger Deakins the guy who did Skyfall yes it is and, and no yeah, he for did, all men and yeah and he did do True Grit I've just checked it okay yeah so that, yeah. that, that definitely explains why it felt so similar to um, to that other Coen Brothers film um, but yeah I mean the acting in it is pretty good um, Brewster Cogburn is an interesting character anyway um, but I think Jeff Bridges brings something different to the character that John Wayne didn't. I mean, John Wayne was quite playful with it. You, you got the you got the idea that he's this, this almost always half cut, constantly drinking whiskey. You don't really know if he's drunk or if he's like a functioning alcoholic kind of character. Um, 
but it was quite, like I said, playful. He interacts with the other characters in it quite well, and he's a bit. He has a joke and stuff with them. Jeff Bridges plays it more as a heavy drinking alcoholic who kind of occasionally has moments of lucidity where he talks to people, which is actually <laughs> quite amusing when you give, considering the fact that through most of the film he slurs his words, so he's quite incomprehensible through most of it. It's really hot. You have to pay attention really closely to what he's saying. I don't know whether it was meant to do that to give the impression that he's drunk all the time or whether <laughs> maybe he was just drunk on set. I don't know. Um, could be method acting. But um, he re- he really did. Sl- he was like watching Sliced Alone in The Expendables. It was just really hard to understand. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good film overall. Dame- Matt Damon kind of does his gawping... G- g- Blank facial expression through most of the film, um, but he's all right. You know, he plays his part quite well. Um, Josh Brolin's in it. He's not in it very much, um, but the part he does play, uh, he does quite well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, compare, compare, comparing it to the original, the original's a better film. It just feels more fun, I guess. And I think John Wayne is, he just brings his movie star character to it and just makes it a better film whereas the Coen Brothers film it's, it's good it's enjoyable I watched it I enjoyed it I would probably watch it again at some point um, it's not their best film I've not seen too many I've only seen five of their, their films altogether but I'd, I wouldn't say it was their best film but it was a very very good movie um, but yeah if you're going to watch one or the other I'd say watch the original okay. cool. um, I think that's all for what we've been watching this week uh, so, up next is our new release review section. New section for new releases. James, which new release have you seen this week, then? Okay, well, I think we should probably start with the biggest one this week, uh, which is one that both Owen and I have seen, um, and that is Elysium, the new science fiction epic from uh, Neil Blomkamp, the director of District 9, starring Matt Damon, Jodie Foster and Charlto Copley. Here's a clip. Hello. Uh, before we start, I'd just like to explain... Max DeCosta, violation of Penal Code 2219, today at bus stop 34B. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. You see, I believe there's been a misunderstanding. Immediate extension of parole by a further eight months. Wait, what? No, 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 no. I can explain what happened. I just made a joke, and, uh, you know... Stop talking. Elevation and heart rate detected. Would you like a pill? No. Thank you. What I'd like to do is explain Stop what happened. Personality matrix suggests a 78.3% chance of regression to old behavior patterns. Grand Theft Auto. Assault with a deadly weapon. Resisting arrest. Would you like to talk to a human? No, I am okay. Thank you. Are you being sarcastic and or abusive? Negative. Yeah, that was a clip then of Elysium. Uh, or Elysium. Or Elysium. Depending <laughs> on how you pronounce the word. Uh... Pronunciation aside, what did you think of the film, James, and also Owen? Well, first, do you know what? This this has kind of been the film that I've been hoping would rescue this pretty mediocre summer of blockbusters. And to an extent, for me, it did its job. I, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than 
the reviews said I would, and it was a lot closer to my original expectations. Big fan of District 9, Neil Blomkamp, original sci-fi, under two hours long. I, I was very excited about this originally, and in the end, I was reasonable. I was more than reasonably pleased. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd agree. It was a good film, really. Um, my first thought initially was that it's not as good as District Nine, mm. and then my second thought was, but it's still it's still pretty good in its own. Yeah, you know, District Nine sort of set the the bar quite high for uh, Neil Blomkamp, but it was always going to be difficult to match that. Um, and it doesn't quite match that. It doesn't doesn't really get close to the level that District Nine mm. is at. I think. Um, but like I say, yeah, it's quite good. It's quite decent. Not some nice action scenes in it. Um, it looked quite good in places. Some of the um, I know people go on about CGI ruining films, but I thought the CGI in this looked pretty good at times. Yeah. Um, it actually fit together quite nicely, and it has a nice principled story that I kind of agree with. So. I mean, it doesn't really force it down your throat as much as other people say. I mean, a lot of people no. have been comparing it to, uh, well, not even just comparing it, just saying that it really tries to force home this message about, you know, the 99% and, you know, who, oh, aren't, aren't rich people really horrible to all the poor people? And aren't poor people really nice all the time? Um, it doesn't really do that, I don't think. It tries to give a, uh, not, not a, an evenly balanced opinion, but it tries to sort of make it that not, <laughs> just because they're poor doesn't mean they're the good guys and, yeah, that's okay. It, yeah, it, it, I, I, what I really liked about this was um, it re- the way it set up its world was fantastic. Opening ten minutes was fantastic, and in a way, the rest of the film was always going to struggle to live up to the opening ten minutes because it really set out its stall brilliantly. And I think it was a fantastically really realised vision of the future. And you had that grimy Mad Max esque. Mm. Um, a bit like, actually, a bit like the the slums in District Nine. That, that kind of really horrible earth on there, which at times look fantastic. There's some lovely attention to detail there, though. Yeah. There is, uh, uh, there's this great scene with a parole officer, which is essentially, which looks like the uh, the taxi driving dummy from Total Recall, actually. Um, and it was just that there was a lovely bit of satire, a little bit of humour there about how uh, actually governments will, you know, are kind of moving towards dealing with people who they don't really want to dirty their hands with and things like that. So, uh, yeah, nice little touches there. Mm-hmm. Um, Elysium looked like fantastic. And, that, you know, the, the whole set design and production design of the the satellite orbiting earth where the very richest lived i thought that looked fantastic as well there was some bits of humor I, you know not as much as say in district nine uh but bits of humor matt damon did a good job i thought as uh, you know the the protagonist oh, um, the foster the, do you not know, really disappointed she was her accent was all over the place i don't God know what, she was what the accent was it looked like she was dubbed in places uh, I, I've no idea, and she really didn't. Re- she didn't have any huge amount of presence. I, I wasn't impressed by Jodie Foster. There was at a all. scene with her where she was meant to be quite. Uh, you meant to get a big impression of what her character is all about. That she's this controlling, manipulative, um, you know, power-hungry woman. But actually, it, it's between her and um, I keep forgetting the actor's name. He was the guy who was he for a while. He was in seemingly every TV program going. He was in Prison Break, and he was in. Um, he was in Lost a little bit as well, I think. Right, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Anyway, him. 
There was a yeah. scene between him and Jodie Foster, and you just... It was only a few back-and-forth dialogue lines that really didn't do Jodie Foster any justice at all, because she just sounded terrible in it. She didn't sound yeah. like she had any idea what was happening in the story. And um, just the opposite of menacing. You mm. just thought, she's really just not trying in there. Yeah, whereas, if you know, menacing, uh, Shelto Copley... Excellent. ...as the really, really South African... Um, mercenary who is just oh god yeah and you know what the accent works so well with his character he was just he was a hideous horrible mercenary um, who is the antagonist really in this film Jodie Foster's a nothing in this film Mm. it's all about um, Chateau Copley's Kruger who is basically on a mission to destroy uh, Matt Damon's character uh, and the hopes of anyone getting to release him. He is just so watchable when he's on screen. He He's the best part of this film. And he's such apart, a... Like, I'd say, sorry, James. No, I was going to say, apart from the production design, I'd say that Shalto Copley's the other reason to watch this film. Oh, yeah, exactly what I was going to say, actually. <laughs> he's, um, he's properly like an old-school menacing villain and it's just it's just brilliant to watch. All yeah. through the film, he's just every every scene he's in, he steals it from everybody else. Um, just brilliant. His lines as well, I thought were quite good. Probably the best of the film. Yeah. It just maybe just because it sounded more natural coming from him. Um, yeah. I don't know, but he. Do you also think? Also, I didn't really realise beforehand that he's such a massive bastard. He's yeah. huge, isn't he? Yeah, he he really comes across as just you will not fuck with this film. Exactly, yeah. This film is, yeah, he's got a great physical person. It's really interesting you said old school villain because actually part, he reminded me a little bit of Robert Mitchum um, in uh, oh, Cape Fear, the original Cape Fear. You know, he's got that, you don't trust him no. at all. Even when he tries kind of turning on a little bit of the ch- what he would think is charm, mm. it's just the most odious skin crawling bit where he's kind of trying to get a woman to do what he wants. To. It's just horrible. He's absolutely vile, and that's probably the best bit of the film. I'm not going to spoil um, the story at all when I say this, but I thought that they weren't going to use him as much as they did at one point. No, I thought that and I as was well. I was a little bit gutted when I thought, oh, is, are they going to just yeah. leave him out of the rest yeah. of the film, though? Yeah, and then, it was... Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, no, it, and yeah, he's he's definitely the the best bit of the film. Really enjoyed it with him. Um, what I will say is, I think some of the try and ignore some of the more negative reviews of the film because I think this film has been a victim on two fronts. The first is it's had to live up to District Nine, which is you know, really difficult, especially when you've had to maybe water down your your vision a little bit for a mainstream Hollywood audience. District Nine came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this has been there's a lot more money been spent on this it's got Matt Damon and Jodie Foster in you know the fact is this has had to go a little bit more common denominator to to justify the studio's expense so there's that on that by the way pleasingly enough uh, yeah obviously it's 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 only Tuesday as we record but um, it made two just over two million up to Monday over the in three the days, number one over the bank holiday weekend, which okay. for the last that's, the that's last really summer good. bank, you know, it's the last summer weekend and it's a bank holiday. Yeah, uh, that's a really good result. Um, 
yeah, be where the mill I'm is sure, quite yeah, comfortably. Which, yeah, which isn't which is understandable, and hopefully. It, you know, I'm sure it will make its money back, especially in worldwide territories. It's the kind of film that I think, even if it doesn't do amazingly well, it will do decently enough in America. Even if it doesn't do amazingly well, it will definitely make its money if back. If you remember the buzz about that. District 9 as well. I mean, District 9 mm. had a real buzz about it going into mm. its release. Uh, yeah. And it, it outperformed District 9. District 9 took 1.9, yeah. this took 2.1. So considering yeah, exactly. that, that District 9 was a really hyped up film when it came out. Yeah, but this, is, yeah. this does have a lot more hype about it because of District Nine, though. So because a lot of it was from the guy who did exactly. District Nine. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think you know the sort of the underground sensation that came out about District mm. Nine, and particularly the major media outlets were picking it up because of the apartheid themes and all that kind of stuff. It, it's nice that he's managed to maintain that when he hasn't got that. Yeah. Oh, it's a political film about South Africa. Blah 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 blah. blah. District, yeah, District Nine massively overperformed considering it didn't have. Uh, a star in it essentially mm. um, this has got Matt Damon in so people will go and see it you know but not because people are massive Matt Damon fans but in general cinema audiences flock to films where they know someone in it right? they're, they're, they're more likely to take a chance on this because they know the, the main actor well, and yeah, exactly. massively on the poster and stuff like that perfectly illustrated by the way by the fact that Lovelace you know the new the new film mm-hmm. yes brought in wait for it £84,000 over the weekend yeah, and, yeah, twenty one on the chart. Ouch! Um, and he's got quite a lot of coverage in the paper, so that was the most yeah. disappointing one. I mean, Pain and Gain's previews took way more than that. It took like two hundred seventy k. That was previews. Right. My final box yeah. office point before I jump off. By the way, Despicable yeah. Me two, forty one million quid in the UK. Fuck yes, that's <laughs> right. Okay, thank um, you, UK. Jerry, why? Are but you I just want what? Sorry, just one last thing on that. I just want to say. Um, the other the other problem the other problem it faced was that people were pinning all their hopes on Elysium because a lot of people felt that the summer was mediocre and so then when Elysium wasn't basically Blade Runner they then kind of went oh well that's even let us down as well and it doesn't it's a, it's a good film reminds me of Prometheus in that it's an intelligent film that I think people got too hyped up about and didn't see how good it was just for itself. I think it's not quite as good as Prometheus. It does have a lot of boring bits in it, and there a lot of. Um, I don't want to say I don't want to say it's cynical, but I mean stuff like having a kid in it who's sick and she's got to get better and stuff. It is a lot of it is very typical of a big film trying to appeal to a mass audience. Yeah, I, but, no, I'd agree with that as well. But yeah, mostly I agree. It, it's getting a bit of a kick in it doesn't deserve. Okay, Jerry, um, what? film are you viewing new-ish film so I watched uh, before I went away again I watched The Heat which is the Paul Feig I hope I'm pronouncing that right Paul Feig uh, film starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy and here's a clip are you a knock I'm sorry are you a knock I'm not I I'm sorry, I don't know what that is I'm not I'm not I'm... am I speaking Japanese yeah listen to him I'm gonna sound it out for you are you or are you not a knock? Like Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, a, a narc. A knock, oh, yes. Yes, yes. No, what, are you, I, what was I saying? I was missing the R when you were saying, I heard knock. What are you? What, what are you doing here? Oh, what are you doing? I'm a federal agent. I'm a special agent. Are you a boy or a girl? It's a fair question. Uh, I'm, I'm female. No kidding. All woman. From the get-go? Um, no operation. 
from birth, yes. How you get that close to shave on your face? I need to go, but I'll be back to... Um, nice knowing you. To, uh, yeah, yeah, that is a clip. Um, Jerry, tell us about the film. Um, it's done surprisingly well in the US. I mean, it was smashing uh, some quite big films at the box office. It did really, really well. Um, it opened to a, a 40 million, pretty much a 40 million dollar weekend. So it nearly made its its budget back on the opening weekend. It's now up to about 160 million dollars in the U, in the US. Um, so it's been one of those real sort of, you know, they're, they're quadrupling their money basically. It's been a real success story, um, which surprises me as it's a bizarrely mediocre film. It really is just a mediocre run of the mill comedy. Sandra, it's it's notable because it's got two female leads, and it's all girl power and yeah, and women sisters doing it for themselves and that kind of thing. But the, you know the characters are not typical sisters are doing it for themselves kind of people. They're, they're both quite flawed, which is nice. Don't get me wrong, I don't I don't like films where it's just you know perfect dolls or whatever being amazingly into you know intelligent and powerful and independent. That's not what I want, but. It was just so cliched. Oh, it's just... It was really predictable. A lot of the jokes and the punchlines, you know, you, you see the punchline coming a mile off. Melissa McCarthy is funny in places. I mean, there's some genuine laugh-out-loud moments. I don't want to sound harsh, but it's just mediocre. It was very average. My my girlfriend really liked it, really, really liked it. Um, and I, I think maybe there's a certain appeal that I just don't get. But it was just very mediocre. Also, worth watching purely to see what's happened to Sandra Bullock. Her <laughs> face. Oh, my God. She looks like Michael Jackson, she doesn't does. she? She does. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I mean, she's had, she's had all sorts done. But she's had work on her eyes, and she's got weird those weird Michael Jackson eyes. Her face doesn't move. She's had, like, a chin and a jaw done and her cheekbones. And she's clearly had a boob job as well. I, she just looks fucking bizarre. She doesn't look human anymore. I mean, she's genuinely, she just doesn't look human. So it's worth watching just to, you can just sit, when she's on screen, you just sit there with your mouth open going, uh, uh, how, 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 how did, how did that happen? So it's, it's Highest paid actress in Hollywood last year. Yeah, which is fucking frightening. Cause she's shit. Um, but there you go. I mean, when, how many, she's made one good film in her career? The Blind Side. Uh, I assume you're talking about Speed. Oh, two. Two. Yeah. <laughs> the Blind Side and Speed. You know, that's about it. There's, there's two There's two roles that she's really been worthwhile in. She's just... Hopefully, hopefully, Gravity later on this mm, year. I was just uh, thinking about that. Yeah. That, that was my And she point. spends most of her time in a spacesuit there uh, as well, so that so she, she can't, she that can't you out much, on yeah. her looking weird. Be even more focused yeah. on her face though, isn't it? Just in a, oh, just true. in a helmet. Maybe, maybe the, the whole thing is she's an alien. Okay, <laughs> I have no idea, but um, seriously though, so, just take a look so at it's not up to the weird. standard of bri- bridesmaids then. No, 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 no. no. Paul Feig, obviously director of bridesmaids, yeah. and yeah, so it's not as good as that. No. Nowhere near as good as it's that. Not, okay. It's not in that league. I mean, bridesmaids was was a really, really good, really funny film. Mm. This is just a it's your average sort of summer, you know, comedy. Easy viewing. It's all right. If I kind of, I, I, I get the feeling it's basically if they just swap the genders, it's the kind of film where they'd have Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. 
uh, as the two main people. Yeah, um, I mean, it struck me a bit as you know, Twenty One Jump Street is like them. It's you know, it's like a female attempt at Twenty One Jump Street because they're both cops. You know, yeah. it wasn't as funny as Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah. I'm quite okay. glad uh, that it's just um just basically a, a naff comedy because I keep I was feeling a bit guilty about it, thinking I do complain a little bit about there being a lack of female action stars. And so I thought, well, when this came out and the trailers didn't make it look a lot like a comedy, but I did think, well, is it an action film mainly that's quite funny? You know, sort of like um, The Last Boy Scout is mainly an action film, but it's also really funny. But yeah, the re- most of the reviews coming back saying, no, it's actually just a lame comedy. It's just a body so, cop. Yeah. yeah. So I feel a little bit less guilty now about not going to see that after my moaning before. It's just there. Uh, just meh. Alright, have we got then any more new release to talk about? Yeah, I've got one more to talk about. I went to see a preview of a film out in cinemas on Friday called The Way Way Back, starring Steve Carell, uh, Tony Collette and Sam Rockwell. Here's a clip. Now, I know I keep asking you, but when are we getting new employee t-shirts? Two years from uh, yesterday. No, all joking aside, this makes me self-conscious about my body. It's not a place that I want to be... Disappoint me, kid. You're late. Plan on making a habit of this. What? You're fired. But I just... Make a valid point. Welcome back. Benefits. You waste an exorbitant amount of time. You know that? Suit up. You don't look too pumped. Come on! Let's get pumped! This is the place where dreams are made or destroyed. Depends on how you feel about working at a water park. Um, we have a situation over at Harpoon Lagoon. Is it a homicide? Yeah, it's a homicide. I knew this day would come. I'm gonna stay here, in the booth no one comes to. Okay, so that was a clip of the way, way back, and... James, tell us about this. Okay, basically it's one of those kind of summer coming of age teenage stories. It's from the producers of Little Miss Sunshine uh, and you'll notice some of the same cast uh, appearing in it as well. It's actually co-written and directed by Nat Faxon and Jim Rash who also co-wrote the script for the George Clooney film The Descendants last year which I watched this uh, week in preparation for this and didn't like it at all I'm not going to talk about that now basically it's about a shy 14 year old called Duncan he goes on a summer vacation with his mum and his mum's new boyfriend and his daughter so it's kind of two families coming together the mum's played by tony collette the new boyfriend the stepdad style figure is played by steve carell who is brilliant as an absolute dick in this he is just a horrible stepdad who keeps being over familiar and at one point really early on in the film he has this conversation with duncan about how he sees himself on a scale of one to ten and he tells him no i think you're more of a three yeah, that's the kind of stepdad we're talking about here. They go out to a um, uh, Steve Carell's character's beach house for the summer. Uh, it's I think it's kind of in the Hamptons, basically. A lot of rich, middle-class adults get together, including people like Rob Codrey, uh, Amanda Pete, Alison Janey, uh, who's been in The West Wing, Juno, um, Away We Go. Love Alison Janey, and she's absolutely fantastic in this. So while the adults are getting together... Um, basically in a kind of spring break for adults type affair uh duncan starts 
falling uh, a little bit for his next door neighbour, a girl who's a year older than him, uh, living next door. But the most important part of his summer is he comes across this water park, Water Whiz, and he ends up getting a job there. And the park's run by a guy called Owen, uh, played by Sam Rockwell, who becomes this surrogate father figure for him. And that's that's just the real heart of this film, is Sam Rockwell as this Peter Pan never quite grew up water park manager just passing on his wisdom uh and trying to get Owen, uh, trying to get Duncan to come out of his shell and in the clip that yeah we've just heard that's just an example of Sam Rockwell who just owns this film completely I've still never seen Sam Rockwell be bad in a film including the fact he's the main uh, he's the main villain in the Charlie's Angels film and he's brilliant in that <laughs> as well. Yeah, he Sam Rockwell is one of those actors who I can just sit and watch whatever he's in. Moon, uh, recently, one of my favourite sci-fi films ever. Uh, and he basically plays two very different characters in that just by, you know, without makeup or anything like that. He just becomes two different characters. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, where he plays Chuck Barris, the quiz show host who claimed that he was also a CIA operative. Fantastic in that. It's just Sam Rockwell is just one of those brilliant, brilliant actors who always puts in a great show. And he does it so fantastically in this. He is basically worth the price of admission alone. And then you've also got other great people in this, like uh, Maya Rudolph, who we were talking about Bridesmaids just now. Um, Shetmar Rudolph plays the the bride in Bridesmaids, basically. Uh, she's also, in a way, we go. She's fantastic in this as the kind of the water park employee, the assistant manager, who's actually keeping the park running because um, Owen is just living up in the clouds, having fun. He's basically his whole idea is he's just there to have fun while he runs the water park. In some ways, I think this is a almost a little. It reminds me a little bit of Adventureland. Um, but I hated it. Well, I didn't hate Adventureland. It just bored me immensely. Whereas this film was very funny, very touching in places as well. And I enjoyed it as much, if not maybe a little bit more than Little Miss Sunshine, actually. Really, really loved this film. It's out most like, general release-ish on Friday. You might struggle to find it in some smaller cinemas, but it's definitely worth a watch. Um, this is I, I keep coming across I'm making my list of the years and like keep coming across well this film is this year's such and such like you know Blackfish last week was this year's imposter for me um, this is this year's safety not guaranteed for me that really charming quirky American independent film full of great characters great writing um, about growing up over a summer absolutely loved it excellent um I believe that's all for our new release review this week, is it not? That's right, yes. yes. So we will have one final pause for you, and then we'll be back with the last segment of the podcast, which is the same as last week. We will recommend you something to watch during the next seven days or so. So, recommendations for next week. Uh, Jerry, what are you... What format and what film? Okay, so I'm going for Netflix this week. And 
I'm going to go for a USA one, which if you haven't if you have Netflix UK but you, you haven't figured out how to get US Netflix, it's piss easy. Uh yeah. you can do it really easily. Um I was going to try and avoid talking about Dread, which was added this week, because uh, we always talk about Dread. So I was going to recommend The Road, which was mm. uh, a few years ago now. But I'm going to recommend it with the caveat that you should read the book first, because the book is magnificent. Oh, I'm too lazy for that, though. Oh, the book is magnificent. <laughs> yeah, but I bet it's long. It's because... not. It's, re- it's really short, the book. Yeah, oh, is it? The book is yeah. really well... short, and the, the film okay. is... I imagine if you hadn't seen the film, uh, if you yeah. hadn't read the book before you saw the film, you wouldn't understand what was going on. Whereas if you read okay. the book and then you see this as a dramatisation of the book, it works much better than it does on its own, if that makes yeah. sense. Okay. okay. I think okay. I prefer the film to the book. I think really? the, the, the prose in the book kind of irritated me a bit. Uh, you see, yeah, some people, I know like, a couple of people who said that, said that it, they didn't like the style, but I really loved that book. Okay, James, what are you recommending and on what format? Okay, I'm giving you something. If you've got a little bit of pocket money, we're just coming up to payday. If you are going to uh, HMV today, you're sure of a big surprise. Um, Well, actually, next Monday. Star Trek Into Darkness is out, if that's that's your bag. I wasn't that impressed by it. I'm not going to buy that. Instead... Released for the first time ever on Blu-ray on Monday, Disney's The Little Mermaid. Fucking cracking film. <laughs> uh, it, it comes from that period of Disney where they just made, for me, they made classic after classic right up there with um, the, the kind of best years of Pixar when you had Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, just really great family films full of entertainment little mermaid's a brilliant little story um some lovely hand-drawn animation at times and it's got under the sea you know which is possibly the best disney song of all time uh i'd struggle to think of a better disney song than under the sea uh what do they got a lot of sand we got a hot crustacean band yes Brilliant rhyming couple. I, I genuinely love The Little Mermaid. It's a great film, and it's finally on Blu-ray, so that's my recommendation for this week. Okay. Um, who hasn't gone yet? Me and... Um, Owen? The, the <laughs> Brummy guy? Uh, yeah, me? Yeah, him. Go on, Owen. Okay. I'm going to recommend from um, Love Film this week. I can't remember whether I've said Looper is on there already or not. Um, but if you if I didn't, then watch Looper. But another one that's recently been added is uh, End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal from last year, which is a sort of found footage, documentary, recovered uh, images type film. Um, following it takes two a co- few liberties with those. It does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's a very good film. Um, so yeah, watch End of Watch if you've got Love Film Instant. Okay, um, I am coming from television. It won't be at uh, 3 o'clock on Saturday morning on ITV1. Columbo, death lends a hand. <laughs> Dad, while I'm taping that. If you're just getting home from Stay the pub. for that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, who's going to try their Columbo impression? No, I, no uh, I'm yeah, going to embarrass myself. <laughs> okay. But at <laughs> 5 past midnight on Film 4 on Saturday is Primer. Yeah, travel film. Try and get your heads around that. Midnight yeah. Saturday is in Saturday night or Friday night. It's like it's Saturday, it's Saturday technically. 
But Friday night, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Five past midnight Saturday, so Friday night. Cool. Set that to record. Get your laminated uh, diagram out. <laughs> Have it next to you. Yeah. Get it out beforehand. That'll save you a lot yeah. of trouble. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. And next week we'll be reviewing Pain and Gain, the, the film starring Marky Mark and The Rock. Yeah. And what else is coming up next week, James? Okay, well, next week we also got the first of our new kind of revamp special featurey type things. I will be at the premiere, the UK premiere of a new British film called Jadu, uh, which is which was is set and filmed in Belgrave Road in Leicester, which is the Golden Mile and the best place to get curry in the entire country. So I'm going to the premiere there, and I'm also, believe it or not, actually getting some time with the stars of the film, whose screen credits include the Darjeeling Express, Doctor Who, and Bend It Like Beckham. So, very, very exciting times for us as we moved one rung up the showbiz cinema <laughs> ladder uh, to getting to Leicester premieres of films. Um, uh, we might also have a review of the new horror film, You're Next, as long as it's showing near one of us. And, um, and yeah, the same old stuff what we've been watching, interesting films that we've seen, and maybe us reacting with outrage to some other news story that's appeared on Twitter. Okay, so uh, that is it for uh, this week's podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time with all your usual bits and pieces. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us, listening, contributing, providing music. God knows what's playing us out this week. Um, (laughs) And yes, like I said, see you next time. The Failed Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Just going to talk about... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. New releases in the cinema, uh, separate from our our usual what we've been watching as well, which we'll now be able to devote a little bit more to classics that we missed the first time round or terrible films that we think you should avoid, that kind of thing. Um, and the quiz will be back, relaunched next week, and there'll actually be something to play for, but there'll be more details about that next week. Okay. Um, fantastic. So, the news this week then. There's only really one piece of news that we can start this podcast off with we did a little feature about it on the fail critics website at failcritics.com last week but the news uh, that sent twitter into meltdown that ben affleck of all people has been cast as uh batman the dark knight bruce wayne in the new superman film which is due out summer 2015 and then hot on the heels of that just earlier today um kind of almost the biggest open secret, the most obvious 
um, piece of news since we were all expecting Gareth Bale to join Real Madrid is that Brian Cranston has been cast as Lex Luthor, which I think is possibly the only choice uh, to play Lex Luthor. Apparently signed up for six movies in some shape or form. So that's quite a big bit of casting there. So Yeah, didn't I read as well or was it here on Twitter or something that Ben Affleck's going to make 13 appearances as Batman? Is that right? right I, I haven't seen that one. Appearances. Goodness so me. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to like, um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Avengers and appearing in right, other okay, yeah. So he's just got to make an appearance so it could be an end credits yeah. thing. But yeah. I'm sure I read it was 13 or 14 films, and it's okay, just okay. Interesting. That is, that is a lot of appearances, and it does make. Do you know what? It really does make me think that when they finally get round to when, and which they inevitably will get round to making some more Batman films, Affleck's got to be in the driving seat to direct those as well, hasn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, he was rumored to do the uh, Justice League film, wasn't he? Mm. And he yeah. apparently turned it down. Yeah. He, you know, maybe maybe it's different now. Yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> he's had his head turned slightly, but, yeah. but he might also just want a break from the, the films. If he's doing thirteen appearances as Batman, part of his deal, I think, to sign up to play um, Batman was to get finance for his own film, similar to Nolan, I guess, with okay, Batman yeah. films. So he might just want to play Batman, make some money, but also then have the freedom to make the other big budget films he wants to make. You know? Okay, so, so for those uh, listeners who maybe haven't seen the article that we wrote then, um, quick fours and against uh, Affleck's casting. I'll be honest, I woke up in the morning and, uh, and my wife said to me, uh, you know, I was getting up and she said, oh, Ben Affleck's been cast. Oh, yeah, that seems good. Yeah, that seems sensible. Yeah, I quite like that. And then I went on to Twitter and saw there'd been an absolute meltdown. And I'll be honest, I was genuinely stunned. <laughs> oh, uh, it's just to me, sweaty nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but to me... It, it, quite literally, it just... I was in Spain sweating, and you told me that via email. Yeah. Well, I was quite literally a sweaty nerd getting up <laughs> and raped by this. Yeah, and, and, and it was quite funny, because I, I then sent just giving you an idea behind the inner workings of the website and podcast, I sent out my little bat signal email to all writers saying, right, I want... I want a few words on your thoughts on this. And Owen's first reply was, what the fuck? And, you know, that was the first Owen had heard. And he didn't sound happy. It was, a, yeah, proper one of those JFK 9-11 moments. <laughs> I remember I was in bed, I leant over, I checked my phone. Oh, the sweat dripping off me. No, I thought it was... Like, yeah, I, I think I made my point on the website. Mm. Ben Affleck is a decent actor, sometimes good actor. Uh, like in Argo, he was pretty good. I think he'll probably play Bruce Wayne quite well. I'm a little less convinced how well he'll be playing Batman, because, you know, they're very different types of characters he's got. Mm. One's a really menacing, intimidating, um, virgin on psychopathic nutcase. And mm. so how well he's going to convince in that role, I don't know. And one, one of the Will he do the voice? <laughs> Will he do the voice? <laughs> yeah. But... Um, it's yeah. I think it's a slightly strange choice, and I've got a feeling that it's just a, a little bit. A little bit of it is because he's sort of flavour of the moment, isn't he? At the minute, people seem to like him because of Argo, and he's got a lot of Hollywood buzz about him. Well, I thought that, but then all of a sudden, as soon as he got cast in Batman, everyone was saying what a shit actor he was, and everyone was bringing up. <laughs> 
giggly and uh, daredevil as if the last ten years hadn't happened. But I think at he's all. not a shit actor. I think that's a, that's an overreaction. But is he the right actor to play Batman? That's right. Yeah. Mm, probably. And I not. think I think Mel Gibson would have been great. <laughs> he probably yeah. Well, that was the other thing that was quite annoying about casting Ben Affleck, wasn't it? We were teased with getting like a Dark Knight Returns type Batman, mm. an older sort of grizzled and you know. <laughs> almost retired and having to drag himself out of retirement sort of Batman and instead we've gone for the good looking you know younger type Batman I know Ben Affleck's not that young anymore but he's still quite baby faced compared to the the old Batman we were all expecting basically basically going on from my Mel Gibson theme you actually wanted someone like Murtar from Lethal Weapon saying I'm too old for this shit just all the time (laughs) Yeah. yeah Well, it's a bit like the, yeah, the, oh, they they're saying they're going in the Dark Knight Returns kind of direction with it, aren't they? So you need a, a, a an older Batman. Mm. He's maybe a bit softer. You know, he's not some physical machine like Bale is. You know, he's older. He's retired. He's come back. And but doesn't that make the idea of him fighting Superman even more ridiculous? Well. <laughs> No, because <laughs> he's he's a master tactician, isn't he? And, and he'll, have his super, he'll have Superman repellent spray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should have just got Adam West if you want an old. Yeah, knack- that would have been that, that would have been, been great. The best. Can you imagine what, will... what Twitter would have been like if it? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been half in love with the idea and half absolutely shocked at the yeah. idea. I know. Uh, what I will say though, Affleck has got the chin for a Batman. At least given that Maybe he's got an almighty chin. <laughs> Yeah, he has got an almighty Batman-esque chin, and maybe that. So yeah, well, yeah, well, I suppose we'll see. What uh, what you can always say is that no one thought Michael Keaton would make a good Batman, and I I think Michael Keaton made a very good I'll Batman. Tell you who I would have liked for it. Carl Urban would have been good for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and he's got a chin. That's a it's a hell of a chin. We saw him yeah, in Dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bit similar, maybe his Batman would be a bit too similar to Dread, though. He, he got the chin, he's got that, and he can do the voice. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, no, that, no, that's true. I'd be, I'd be more worried about Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor because it's really because he's in everything now. He's, ev- you can't get rid of him, and he's very hit and miss. Like there's yeah. obviously some things where he's fantastic, Breaking Bad and, and Malcolm in the Middle and the odd other thing, but there's, there's just as many things now where he's just absolute wank. I think that's harsh. <laughs> Rock of I, Ages. I, I, I... Oh yeah, no, shit in Rock of Ages, but no one was good. Um, Paul Giamatti was shit in Rock of to- Ages. Total He's Recall. Actor. Didn't think he was. Very total good Recall. In that. Again, I. What and it's something I said on Twitter earlier. I think he he needs a right he needs the right script. If he's given a good script, he's fantastic. But it's just, it just and, it's and just, most actors will look shit with a bad script. It just seems and, to me though they've gone. Well, who's flavour of the month? Brian Cranston. Oh, he shaved his head as well. Perfect. <laughs> There's definitely an element of that. Um, but who, that. again, who who else would you get to play instead of Brian Cranston? I don't then? know. Just <laughs> <laughs> get Benedict Cumberbatch to shave his head. He's quite a menacing <laughs> bloke, isn't he? In Star Trek, shave his head off, and we'll be laughing. <laughs> British villains everywhere. I I know I did. Brian Cranston seems to be a popular choice, um, and it does seem to have been the only uh, the only name that anyone was talking about. But I, I agree with you that he's had some he's been in some not great films with some not great performances. 
But I, most of that time, I'd argue that's because they've cast. Uh, they they could have cast anyone in that role, and it's really difficult to sometimes make that role your own with such a bland script as they had with, say, Total Recall. Whenever he's been given something to work with, he's always been brilliant. So, to me, that's the caveat with Brian Cranston is. Um, is there going to be a good script for the next Superman film? Maybe, maybe we'll find out. Um, and then the other the small bit of news that got me quite excited was that Tony Jaa has been cast for uh, Fast and Furious 7, which is now shaping up to looking like it wants to start to rival the Expendables in terms mm. of action stars. It's packing it, you know, Tony Jaa is already fucking got, excellent. He is. And it's, and it, do you know what? It's really good to see him doing something a bit you know, a bit big budget, uh, which will put him back out there again in front of huge numbers of cinema goers, uh, alongside people like Vin Diesel, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and uh, The State. I'm just very, very excited now, but and and I'm unreasonably excited because it's not it's not a te- it, well. It's not a classic series of movies, but I, really? it's got a soft spot. I've got I've got a real soft spot for the fast films, and I think this could be brilliant fun. So yeah, that's it for news. Really, it's just some lots of casting news. Um, yeah. So oh, and sadly, M- uh, Empire Screen One today was demolished. Um, and for those of you who don't know, it's the uh, largest uh, non-IMAX screen in the UK and one of the largest non-IMAX screens in the world. It was. It has hosted loads of film premieres. It's uh, in London's West End, and it sadly disappeared today because they've had to cut it in two at least. Uh, and so a huge iconic piece of cinema architecture has disappeared from our streets today. And uh, I'd like to say that I think that's quite sad. Yeah, unlucky fancy London types. Back <laughs> down with the rest of us <laughs> in the small screens. <laughs> In comes the Northern. <laughs> there we go. That's all for the first part. In part two, what we've been watching. What we've been watching then, uh, I haven't really watched anything this week um, at all, which really is putting my place on this podcast in jeopardy. <laughs> Such a pro- It's a good job you're so good looking next <laughs> or something next next week i would promise i'll watch five films including one new release wow Excellent. and only talk about two of them that's what i'm allowed to talk about yeah. uh anyway james can kick us off in a segment uh yeah so this week uh i watched a new well it's a new release on video on demand uh so i want to have a quick chat about that last week i spoke about a few documentaries that i watched i've been in a little bit of a documentary mood uh and this is another documentary that was released here i think in may and i watched it using ee's film store but i'm pretty sure it's available in places like Blinkbox, other video on demand uh areas it's called beware of mr baker it's a rock documentary, basically, about Ginger Baker, who was the drummer in Cream and Blind Faith in the 60s. And then he kind of launched his own solo career for a bit. And then he went to live in Africa. And he's he's one of those classic self-destructive rock drummers. Although if you called him a rock drummer, he would literally hit you in the face with a walking stick. He is... It's, it's a really interesting documentary because it is not just about his music, but him as a man. And it's quite honest about how the fact that he's a shit 
basically. Um, and even his family pretty much talked that way. Just to give you a bit of background to how the documentary came about, it's directed and written by a guy called Jay Bolger, who heard stories of this legendary drummer in the 60s, um, Ginger Baker, and thought, oh, he must be dead, like all great drummers and musicians from the 60s and 70s, he must be dead, and found out he wasn't living, he was living in Africa, and he just wrote to him and blagged an interview with him. He said, I'm writing an article on you for Rolling Stone magazine, can I come out and interview you? And he went and lived with him for a bit, and at this point it was a complete blag. He ended up writing this fantastic article, which Rolling Stone, ironically, picked up and put on their cover one year. Then two years later, he decided, no, I need to make a film about this man. So he went back to South Africa and made a film. And this documentary is conversations with Ginger Baker and then other people in his life and other famous musicians about the work of Ginger Baker, but also about the man that Ginger Baker is. And firstly, it does give you a real sense of era, gives you a real sense of how important Ginger Baker was in terms of his influence on future rock musicians. For those of you who are, you know, listen to people like Ed Sheeran and stuff like that, all that kind of young, young music. Yeah, ugh. Right, okay, Cream were basically a group in the 60s made up of the three best musicians on their instruments in rock music at the time. Okay, so you had Ginger Baker on drums, Jack Bruce on bass guitar, and Eric Clapton on lead guitar. When Jimi Hendrix came over to England, he wanted to jam with them because they were seen as the pinnacle of rock music at the time. They were only together for two years and they created some of the most amazing music in that time. What we get with this documentary is we get some of the story of how the band got together with some great rock um, anecdotes uh, and the fact that Jack Bruce, the bass player and Ginger Baker the drummer hated each other during this entire time and Eric Clapton was kind of caught in the middle there and you've got this classic tragic story of a band that pretty much as soon as they got together started disintegrating but through all of that made some of the finest music uh, of the era and of all time uh, they, they, uh, the band split up and they went their separate ways and you get you get an idea of where Ginger Baker went with his music he's very influenced by jazz and he makes it really clear that he's not a rock drummer and he he actually physically attacks the interviewer at one point um for calling him a drummer he's a musician he was brought up in in jazz um and that was really very important to him he also went out to africa and started promoting kind of african drum before anyone else in mainstream western music really connected with africa he was a real pioneer in some ways he even had a recording studio in nigeria in the 70s which was closed down and destroyed by the government there at the time really really interesting man uh also weirdly into polo he got massively into polo at one point he's from like he's he's from the east end of london got massively into polo and he blew all his money on polo shipping polo ponies out to south africa and things like an incredibly obnoxious man at times um quite happy to slag off people like john bonham of led zeppelin and keith moon as being all right uh, but they they couldn't swing they couldn't swing a sack of shit is what he says at one point about that yeah he, he, he does just speak his mind um but then you get interviews with his family going his children going yeah it probably would have been better off for him if we'd never been born yeah really quite a dark documentary in some ways and 
but very interesting because you do get the idea that you can admire the creative work of someone while thinking that they're absolute bastards as people. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of that and we kind of lionise our heroes. Uh, but the people behind some of our favourite work, the people behind some of our favourite music, behind some of our favourite films are actually complete, but, you know, complete assholes. And sometimes I think we maybe need to be reminded of that, that these geniuses that do this, they're just normal people, which means some of them are quite nice. Eric Clapton comes across very well in this um, documentary. Some of them are absolute twats, basically. And Ginger Baker's one of them. And he makes no apologies for it either. He doesn't really try and hide it. He's just is who he is. So it's a really interesting documentary about a great period of music, about definitely a character that deserves to be explored via the medium of film. And anyone who's got an interest in that kind of music or rock documentaries in general, I think you'd really, really enjoy this. And it, it's definitely it's up there in terms of my favourite documentaries I've seen this year. Also, just as a drummer, I have to say, Ginger Baker is fucking awesome. He is incredible, and you get to see some really great archive footage of him, not just when he was in Cream and in Blind Faith, but after he left those bands, he decided to have drum battles against the best jazz drummers of the time. You get to see him just just incredibly... He, he sounds like he's going at 500 beats a minute kind of thing, and he says it's actually it's just because he uses every single limb of his body in perfect time. And that's real, another really interesting thing about documentaries. He judges people on whether they've got good time. Well, he's, like he's got a good groove. You know, he, he yeah. jazz and stuff. He, he, exactly. And he, he was brought up in that tradition. But it's really interesting. When he talks to it, he doesn't say, oh, they were nice. Oh, they were great. Uh, did they have time or not? That seems to be his overriding thing of how he just... Uh, he's, he's friends with them because they could keep time. He seems to be that singular about his his musicianship. And it's... It's very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, certainly you're not going to come out of it liking Ginger Baker. He's, he's, a, he's a dick. But fuck, what a drummer. It's, it's interesting that he criticised Bonham because Bonham was, you know, he was quite strongly influenced by Ginger Baker, mm. you can tell. And pretty much anybody who's into metal, if you've not listened to Cream or Ginger Baker's drum yeah. solos, like metal drumming ever since then is yeah. kind of reliant on something. Egg, that, that yeah, he was doing because he, I mean, he sort of pioneered the massive kits, having yeah. five thousand symbols. He used to have double kick drums in the sixties in a fucking psychedelic rock band, which is you know yeah. it's quite out there. But he was, yeah. And one of my favourite bits actually is there is a small bit of an interview with Lars Ulrich, who basically talks about how he adores Ginger Baker uh, from Metallica. Uh, adores Ginger Baker, says without Ginger Baker there wouldn't be heavy metal and then it just cuts back to Ginger Baker going heavy metal should have been aborted at birth. <laughs> you can imagine what he thinks of Lars Ulrich, yeah. Exactly. And it's, he just really doesn't give one solitary shit about who looks up to him. Uh, it, it's it's a really, really interesting and at times very funny documentary and I, yeah, really recommend it. Okay. Um, Jerry, what have you watched this week? Um... Well, it's not actually this week, it was before my holiday, but I went to see Wajda, right? It's a fucking crazy name, W-A-D-J-D-A, which uh, the most which of you have probably heard of is um, the Saudi Arabian film, is what it's known as. You know, this, it, it's, it's just talked about because it's a Saudi Arabian film made by a Saudi Arabian woman in Saudi Arabia, for the most part, anyway, it's funded by Germans and 
mm-hmm. Britons and whatever. But um, it was ma- mostly filmed in Saudi Arabia about a young um, Saudi girl. And essentially the story is um, she she really wants a bicycle. That's like her her ambition in life is to, is to be able to buy a, this bicycle in the shop. And she, and she wants that. A lot of the reason she wants it is because girls aren't allowed to have bicycles. Um and you know it, the, all the boys laugh at her, and even the women like you know say girls can't have bicycles, uh, and so you know it's not proper. So she um, essentially the the main bit of it is, is she goes in for the Quran competition at her school uh, in order to win the prize money to buy a bike. So she's kind of subverting the system a little bit. Uh, it's really really strong social commentary, but without being preachy, which I always like. Um, the use of the child to tell the story is what makes that happen essentially because you see it through through Wajda's eyes um, you you see what's going on around her, you see things with her mother with her father, with her teachers uh, with, her, with her school friends with you know the, both male and female as well you see all these different things going on and it's it's quite objective because it's just her you know, and she, I mean she goes through life she, she doesn't conform at all don't get me wrong, but it's not openly saying, "Oh, this is wrong, this is bad," and I think that's partly how they got it made, you know. And it's partly a pragmatic thing, and that to, to get it made in Saudi Arabia, and to do that, you know, you need to not be openly questioning and and criticizing. But there's a lot of good implicit criticism in it as well. Um, it's a smart film. It's not it's not the best film I've seen this year, but it's, it felt important when you were watching it. You know, it had a message. It, it got that message across quite clearly, uh, but at the same time, quite cleverly and implicitly. And it was it was an engaging story. It's not massively unpredictable or anything like that, but it was engaging. I felt like I learned something from it as well about about Saudi culture. Um, and it, it's worthwhile supporting as well because it's it's it is a minor kind of film. Uh, it's been out for a while now. I went to see it at um, the showroom, the Independent Cinema in Sheffield. Um, and yes, being the absolute loser that I am, this is what I did to celebrate my birthday as I went and watched a fucking obscure Saudi Arabian film mm-hmm. at an independent cinema. Um, but Such really worth a watch. I know. <laughs> Such a hipster. For my anniversary, I took, uh, I took my wife to see Amour. That was, that was a fun anniversary evening. Yeah, just like I so, convinced yeah. my girlfriend to watch Amour as a Christmas, uh, pre-Christmas treat. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 just that's just the kind of guys we are. The film critics podcast. Um, I meant to go and see. Oh well, I wanted to go and see this film at the Glasgow Film Festival, but I, my dates didn't quite work out, and I wasn't there when it was showing. But it got really, really good reception there as well, and everyone I've spoken to who's seen it has has really enjoyed it. And and like you have said, actually, it feels like you're watching something really important. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be patronising. It's a good film in its own right. You know, mm. and I think a lot of the fuss it's getting is because of, you know, who it's being made by and where it's being made, and I think that's a bit insulting in a way, mm. because it, it is a bit sort of, you know, Westerners. Oh, these Arabs, you know, they've not really got a cinematic mm. culture, but we, you know, they're, they're doing all right. You know, this is it's important that women do this. For it's a bit. A lot of the stuff that's being written and said about it is a bit like that. But and I suppose I am being a bit like that in saying that it's important. But it is a good film in its own right. So you know, it's yeah. not just. A film from that culture that yeah. happens to be popular. It, it's a good film. Okay, uh, Owen, what's up for you? Okay, uh, I talked last week about how I've watched uh, the original 1969 film True Grit 
featured John Wayne. I said how much I loved it at the time. I also mentioned that I hadn't seen the Coen Brothers remake yet, but that it was in the post on its way to me. Well, it arrived during the week. So uh, earlier on today, uh, whilst my internet was down, a long story that I'm not going into, I... <laughs> Is there a company we can shame on here? Let's bring some you know, pressure on them. Yeah, the post office. Never get your internet post from office. the post office. Never. Just don't even think about it. If you think, oh, that looks cheap, it's cheap for a reason. So just don't, don't do it. <laughs> I urge you, do not get your internet from the post office. Right. Now that's over with. Um, yeah. Hopefully they come out and fix mine before they listen to the podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> they won't be able to listen to it. They can't download it. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> no download nice. speed. No, they've all gone. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, anyway, I watched uh, True Grit, the Coen Brothers remake. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Uh, not to repeat on something too much um, that I've already talked about uh, on the podcast last week. Um, but I will quickly recap the story for those who don't know what it's about. Basically, True Grit follows a young 14-year-old girl whose father has been murdered um, by a guy who goes by a lot of different names, but is mainly called Tom Chaney in the film. She enlists the help of a US Marshal called Rooster Cogburn, who was originally the guy who John Wayne played, but in the remake is played by Jeff Bridges. And they team up with a Texas Ranger called Labeef, who is played by Matt Damon. And they go on a quest to into this like Indian territory that no other U.S. marshal will go to uh, to try and capture the murderer. It's a pretty simple Western story, I think. And uh, I made the point last week. It, it, it's simple, but it works. It's got quite complex characters, particularly um, the uh, lead girl, Matty Ross, who is called, uh, who she played by, Hayley Steinfeld, uh, plays her. She's quite good. She's not really... Uh, as complex as she was in the original film, it seems to me, to me just to be like a copy of her. A lot of the lines were almost lifted directly from the original and just given to her to do in her own way, which she then just basically copies how it was done in the first place. Um, although this isn't a direct remake of that original film, it's, it's a, an adaptation of the same novel, it does just basically copy a lot of the the, the style of the original film. Although it does have a, um, a you know a recognisable Coen Brothers uh, feel to it. I mean, it, it looks great. First of all, that's the first thing you notice. It's got that familiar style that's very similar to something like No Country for Old Men. Is it? Um, it's Roger Deakins again, cinematography, isn't it? Quite possibly. I wouldn't say that. No. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm gonna check on that Excellent. while you carry on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, it does. It, that would explain if it's the same cin cinematographer why it looks and feels so similar. You know, it's got that quite vast, um, you know, the quite open and expansive feel to it. You know, it's like the country that could just go on forever, um, and all the characters as well just feel quite sort of small in this surrounding. It's quite quite well shot like that, and I, I like it. I think it's 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 very interesting to to watch. Um, the actor. Roger Deakins, the guy who did Skyfall. Yes, it is. And, and no yeah, he for did, all men and yeah, and he did do True Grit. I've just checked it. Okay, yeah, so that yeah. Was, that that definitely explains why it felt so similar to um to that other Coen Brothers film. Um, but yeah, I mean the acting in it is pretty good. Um, Rooster Cogburn is an interesting character anyway. Um, but I think Jeff Bridges brings something different to the character that John Wayne didn't. I mean, John Wayne was quite playful with it. You know, you got the you got the idea that he's this. this almost always half cut, constantly drinking whiskey. You don't really know if he's drunk or if he's like a functioning alcoholic kind of character. Um, 
but it was quite, like I said, playful. He interacts with the other characters in it quite well, and he's a bit. He has a joke and stuff with them. Jeff Bridges plays it more as a heavy drinking alcoholic who kind of occasionally has moments of lucidity where he talks to people, which is actually <laughs> quite amusing when you give, considering the fact that through most of the film he slurs his words, so he's quite incomprehensible through most of it. It's really hot. You have to pay attention really closely to what he's saying. I don't know whether it was meant to do that to give the impression that he's drunk all the time or whether <laughs> maybe he was just drunk on set. I don't know. Um, could be method acting. But um, he re- he really did. Sl- he was like watching Sliced Alone in The Expendables. It was just really hard to understand. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good film overall. Da- Matt Damon kind of does his gawping blank facial expression through most of the film. Um, but he's all right. You know, he plays his part quite well. Um, Josh Brolin's in it. He's not in it very much, um, but the part he does play, uh, he does quite well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, compare, compare, comparing it to the original, the original's a better film. It just feels more f- fun, I guess, and I think John Wayne is, he just brings his movie star character to it and just makes it a better film whereas the Coen Brothers film it's, it's good it's enjoyable I watched it I enjoyed it I would probably watch it again at some point um, it's not their best film I've not seen too many I've only seen five of their, their films altogether but I'd, I wouldn't say it was their best film but it was a very very good movie um, but yeah if you're going to watch one or the other I'd say watch the original okay. um, I think that's all for what we've been watching this week uh, so up next is our new release review section. New section for new releases. James, which new release have you seen this week then? Okay, well I think we should probably start with the biggest one this week, uh, which is one that both Owen and I have seen, um, and that is Elysium, the new science fiction epic from uh, Neil Blomkamp, the director of District 9, starring Matt Damon, Jodie Foster and Charlto Copley. Here's a clip. Hello. Uh, before we start, I'd just like to explain... Max Costa, violation of Penal Code 2219. Today, bus stop 348. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. You see, I believe there's been a misunderstanding. Immediate extension of parole by a further eight months. Wait, what? No, 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 no. I can explain what happened. I just made a joke. And, uh, you know... Stop talking. Elevation and heart rate detected. Would you like a pill? No. Thank you. What I'd like to do is explain Stop what happened. Personality matrix suggests a 78.3% <laughs> chance of regression to old behavior patterns. Grand Theft Auto. Assault with a deadly weapon. Resisting arrest. Would you like to talk to a human? No, I am okay. Thank you. Are you being sarcastic and or abusive? Negative. Yeah, that was a clip then of Elysium. Uh, or Elysium. Or Elysium. Depending <laughs> on how you pronounce the word. Uh... Pronunciation aside, what did you think of the film, James, and also Owen? Well, first, do you know what? This this has kind of been the film that I've been hoping would rescue this pretty mediocre summer of blockbusters. And to an extent, for me, it did its job. I, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than 
the reviews said I would, and it was a lot closer to my original expectations. Big fan of District 9, Neil Blomkamp, original sci-fi, under two hours long. I, I was very excited about this originally, and in the end, I was reasonable. I was more than reasonably pleased. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd agree. It was a good film, really. Um, my first thought initially was that it's not as good as District Nine, and mm. then my second thought was, but it's still it's still pretty good in its own. Yeah. You know, District Nine sort of set the the bar quite high for uh, Neil Blomkamp, but it's always going to be difficult to match that. Um, and it doesn't quite match that. It doesn't doesn't really get close to the level that District Nine mm. is at. I think. Um, but like I say, yeah, it's quite good. It's quite decent. Not some nice action scenes in it. Um, it looked quite good in places. Some of the um, I know people go on about CGI ruining films, but I thought the CGI in this looked pretty good at times. Yeah. Um, it actually fit together quite nicely, and it has a nice principled story that I kind of agree with. So. I mean, it doesn't really force it down your throat as much as other people say. I mean, a lot of people no. have been comparing it to, uh, well, not even just comparing it, just saying that it really tries to force home this message about, you know, the 99% and, you know, who, oh, aren't, the, aren't rich people really horrible to all the poor people? And aren't poor people really nice all the time? Um, it doesn't really do that, I don't think. It tries to give a, no. not, not a, an evenly balanced opinion, but it tries to sort of make it that not, <laughs> just because they're poor doesn't mean they're the good guys and, that's yeah, that's okay. It, yeah, it, it, I, I, what I really liked about this was um, it re- the way it set up its world was fantastic. Opening ten minutes was fantastic, and in a way, the rest of the film was always going to struggle to live up to the opening ten minutes because it really set out its stall brilliantly. And I think it was a fantastically really realised vision of the future. And you had that grimy Mad Max esque. Mm. Um, a bit like, actually, a bit like the the slums in District Nine. That, that kind of really horrible earth on there, which at times looked fantastic. There's some lovely attention to detail there, though. Yeah. There is, uh, uh, there's this great scene with a parole officer, which is essentially, which looks like the uh, the taxi driving dummy from Total Recall, actually. Um, and it was just that there was a lovely bit of satire, a little bit of humour there about how uh, actually governments will, you know, are kind of moving towards dealing with people who they don't really want to dirty their hands with and things like that. So, yeah, nice little touches there. Mm-hmm. Um, Elysium looked like fantastic, and that, you know, the the whole set design and production design of the the satellite orbiting earth where the very richest lived i thought that looked fantastic as well there was some bits of humor I, you know not as much as say in district nine uh but bits of humor matt damon did a good job i thought as uh, you know the the protagonist she, oh, was um, the foster the, do you not really disappointed she was her accent was all over the place i don't God know what knows she was what the accent was it looked like she was dubbed in places uh, I, I've no idea, and she really didn't. Re- she didn't have any huge amount of presence. I, I wasn't impressed by Jodie Foster. There was at a all. scene with her where she was meant to be quite. Uh, You're meant to get a big impression of what her character is all about. That she's this controlling, manipulative, um, you know, power-hungry woman. But actually, it, it's between her and um, I keep forgetting the actor's name. He was the guy who was he for a while. He was in seemingly every TV program going. He was in Prison Break, and he was in. Um, he was in Lost a little bit as well, I think. Right, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Anyway, him. 
There was a yeah. scene between him and Jodie Foster, and you just... It was only a few back-and-forth dialogue lines that really didn't do Jodie Foster any justice at all, because she just sounded terrible in it. She didn't sound yeah. like she had any idea what was happening in the story. And um, just the opposite of menacing. You mm. just thought, she's really just not trying in there. Yeah, whereas, if you know, menacing, uh, Shelto Copley... Excellent. ...as the really, really South African um, <laughs> mercenary... ...who ports. is just... Oh, God, yeah. And do you know what? The accent works so well with his character. He was just... He was a hideous horrible mercenary um, who is the antagonist, really, in this film. Jodie Foster's a nothing in this film. Mm. It's all about um, Chateau Copley's Kruger, who is basically on a mission to destroy uh, Matt Damon's character uh, and the hopes of anyone getting to release him. He is just so watchable when he's on screen. He He's the best part of this film. And he's such Apart- a, like... I'd say- Sorry, James, go no, I was going to say, apart from the production design, I'd say that Shelto Copley's the other reason to watch this film. Oh, yeah, exactly what I was going to say, actually. <laughs> he's um, he's properly like an old-school menacing villain, and it's just he's just brilliant to watch. All yeah. through the film, he's just... Every every scene he's in, he steals it from everybody else. Um, just brilliant. His lines as well, I thought, were quite good. Probably the best of the film. Yeah. It just Maybe just because it sounded more natural coming from him. Um, yeah. I don't know, but he. He also think. Also, I didn't really realize beforehand that he's such a massive bastard. He's yeah. huge, isn't he? Yeah, he he really comes across as just you will not fuck with this. Film. Exactly, <laughs> this yeah. film is. Yeah, he's got a great physical presence. It's really interesting. You said old school villain because actually part he reminded me a little bit of Robert Mitchum um, in uh, oh, Cape Fear, the original Cape Fear. You know, he's got that you. Don't trust him no. at all. Even when he tries kind of turning on a little bit of the ch- what he would think is charm, mm. it's just the most odious, skin-crawling bit where he's kind of trying to get a woman to do what he wants. To. It's just horrible. He's absolutely vile, and that's probably the best bit of the film. I'm not going to spoil um, the story at all when I say this, but I thought that they weren't going to use him as much as they did at one point. No, I thought that I as well. I was a little bit gutted when I thought, oh, is, are they going to just yeah. leave him out of the rest yeah. of the film now? Yeah, and then, it was... Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, and yeah, he's he's definitely the the best bit of the film. Really enjoyed it with him. Um, what I will say is I think some of the... Try and ignore some of the more negative reviews of the film because I think this film has been a victim on two fronts. The first is it's had to live up to District 9, which is... Yeah, really difficult, especially when you've had to maybe water down your your vision a little bit for a mainstream Hollywood audience. District Nine came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. um, and now this has been. There's a lot more money been spent on this. It's got Matt Damon and Jodie Foster in. You know, the fact is, this has had to go a little bit more common denominator to to justify the studio's expense. So there's that. On that, by the way, yeah. that it, pleasingly enough, uh, yeah. obviously it's, it's, it's only Tuesday as we record, but um, it made two just over two million up to Monday over the In three the days, number one over the bank holiday weekend, which okay. for the last, that's, the that's last really summer good. bank, you know, it's the last summer weekend and it's a bank holiday. Yeah. That, that's a really good result. Um, 
yeah, beat and where I'm, the mill I'm is sure, quite yeah, comfortably. Which, yeah, which isn't which is understandable. And hopefully it you know, I'm sure it will make its money back, especially in worldwide territories. It's the kind of film that I think even if it doesn't do amazingly well it'll do decently enough in America even if it doesn't do amazingly well it'll definitely make its money if back if you remember the buzz well. about District 9 as well I mean District 9 mm. had a real buzz about it going into mm. its release uh, yeah. and it, it outperformed District 9 District 9 took 1.9 yeah. this took 2.1 so considering yeah, exactly. that, that District 9 was a really hyped up film when it came out yeah but this, is, yeah. this does have a lot more hype about it because of district nine though because so a lot of people... it was from the guy who did exactly. district nine oh yeah. yeah yeah but i think you know the sort of the underground sensation that came out about district mm. nine and particularly the major media outlets were picking it up because of the apartheid themes and all that kind of stuff it, it's nice that he's managed to maintain that when he hasn't got that yeah. Oh, it's a political film about South Africa. Blah, 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 blah. District yeah, District Nine massively overperformed considering it didn't have uh, a star in it essentially. Mm. Um this has got Matt Damon in, so people will go and see it. You know, but not because people are massive Matt Damon fans, but in general, cinema audiences flock to films where they know someone in it. Right. They're, they're they're more likely to take a chance on this because they know the the main actor well, and yeah, he's exactly. massively on the poster and stuff like that. Perfectly the illustrated, other... by the way, by the fact that Lovelace, you know the new the new film, mm-hmm. yes, brought in. Wait for it, eighty four thousand pounds over the weekend. Yeah, and uh, yeah, twenty one on the chart. Ouch! Um, and he's got quite a lot of coverage in the paper, so that was the most yeah. disappointing one. I mean, Pain and Gain's previews took way more than that. It took like two hundred seventy k, and that was previews. Right. My final box office point before I jump off, by the way. Despicable yeah. Me 2, 41 million quid in the UK. Fuck yes. That's right. <laughs> okay, Thank um, you, UK. Jerry, why but are you... I just want, what, sorry, just one last thing on that. I just want to say um, the, other, the other problem the other problem it faced was that people were pinning all their hopes on Elysium because a lot of people felt that the summer was mediocre. And so then when Elysium wasn't basically Blade Runner... They then kind of went, oh well, that's even let us down as well, and it doesn't. It's a, it's a good film. Reminds me of Prometheus in that it's an intelligent film that I think people got too hyped up about and didn't see how good it was just for itself. I think it's not quite as good as Prometheus. It does have a lot of boring bits in it, and there a lot of um, I don't want to say I don't want to say I'm cynical, but I mean stuff like having a kid in it who's sick and she's got to get better and stuff. It is a lot of it is. Very typical of a big film trying to appeal to a mass audience. Yeah, I, but, no, I'd agree with that as well. But yeah, mostly I agree. It, it's getting a bit of a kick in it doesn't deserve. Okay, Jerry, um, what film are you viewing? New-ish film? So I watched, uh, before I went away again, I watched The Heat, which is the Paul Feig, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Paul Feig uh, film starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. And here's a clip. Are you a knock? I'm sorry? Are you a knock? I'm not. I'm I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. A knock. A knock. Am I speaking Japanese? Yeah, listen to him. I'm going to sound it out for you. Are you or are you not a knock? Like Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. Ah, I see, I see. Okay, a a knock. A knock, yes. Yes, yes. What what was I saying? I was missing the R when you were saying, I heard knock. What are you? What what are you doing here? What are you doing? I'm a federal agent. I'm a special agent. Are you a boy or a girl? It's a fair question. Uh, I'm I'm female. No kidding. All woman. From the get-go? No operation. Um, 
From birth, yes. How do you get that close to shave on your face? I need to go, but I'll be back, back to, to you. Um, nice knowing you. To, uh, yep, yeah, that is a clip. Um, Jerry, tell us about the film. Um, it's done surprisingly well in the US. I mean, it was smashing uh, some quite big films at the box office. It did really, really well. Um, it opened to a, a 40 million, pretty much a 40 million dollar weekend. So it nearly made its its budget back on the opening weekend. It's now up to about 160 million dollars in the U in the US. Um, so it's been one of those real sort of, you know, they're, they're quadrupling their money basically. It's been a real success story, um, which surprises me as it's a bizarrely mediocre film. It really is just a mediocre run of the mill comedy. Sandra, it's it's notable because it's got two female leads and it's all girl power and yeah and women sisters doing it for themselves and that kind of thing but the, you know the characters are not typical sisters are doing it for themselves kind of people they're, they're both quite flawed which is nice don't get me wrong I don't I don't like films where it's just you know perfect dolls or whatever being amazingly into, you know intelligent and powerful and independent that's not what I want but it was just so cliched oh it's just it was really predictable a lot of the jokes and the punchlines, you know, you, you see the punchline coming a mile off. Melissa McCarthy is funny in places. I mean, there's some genuine laugh-out-loud moments. I don't want to sound harsh, but it's just mediocre. It's very average. My like, my girlfriend really liked it, really, really liked it. Um, and I, I think maybe there's a certain appeal that I just don't get. But it was just very mediocre. Also worth watching purely to see what's happened to Sandra Bullock her face oh my god she looks like Michael Jackson she does that's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say I mean she's had she's had all sorts done but she's had work on her eyes and she's got weird those weird Michael Jackson eyes her face doesn't move she's had like a chin and a jaw done and her cheekbones and she's clearly had a boob job as well she just looks fucking bizarre she doesn't look human anymore I mean, she's genuinely, she just doesn't look human. So it's worth watching just to, you can just sit, when she's on screen, you just sit there with your mouth open going, uh, uh, how, 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 how did, how did that happen? I just paid actress in Hollywood last year. Yeah, which is fucking frightening, because she's shit. Um, but there you go. I mean, when, how many, she's made one good film in her career? The Blind Side? Uh, I assume you're talking about Speed. Oh, two. Two, yeah. <laughs> the blind side and speed. You know, that's about it. There's, there's two, there's two roles that she's really been worthwhile in. She's just hopefully, hopefully, gravity later on this mm, year. I was just third. thinking about that. Yeah, that, that was my. And she point. spends most of her time in a spacesuit there uh, as well. So that so she, she can't that'll you much. out on yeah. her looking weird. Be even more focused yeah. on her face though, isn't it? Just in a that's just true. in a helmet. Maybe, maybe the whole thing is she's an alien. So <laughs> I have no idea, but um, seriously though, so, just take a look. So at it's it. not up to the weird. standard of bri- bridesmaids, then. No, 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 no. no. Paul Feig, obviously director of bridesmaids, yeah. and yeah, so it's not as good as that. No. Nowhere near as good as it's that. Not, okay. It's not in that league. I mean, bridesmaids was was a really, really good, really funny film. Mm. This is just a it's your average sort of summer, you know, comedy, yeah. easy viewing. It's all right. If I kind of I, I I get the feeling it's basically if they just swap the genders, it's the kind of film where they'd have Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn 
uh, as the two main people. Yeah, um, I mean, it struck me a bit as you know, Twenty One Jump Street is like them. It's you know, it's like a female attempt at Twenty One Jump Street because they're both cops. You know, yeah. it wasn't as funny as Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah. I'm okay. quite glad uh, that it's just um just basically a, a naff comedy because I keep I was feeling a bit guilty about it, thinking I do complain a little bit about there being a lack of female action stars. And mm. so I thought, well, when this came out and the trailers didn't make it look a lot like a comedy, but I did think, well, is it an action film mainly that's quite funny? You know, sort of like um, The Last Boy Scout is mainly an action film, but it's also really funny. Mm. But yeah, the re- most of the reviews coming back saying, no, it's actually just a lame comedy. It's just a body so, cop. Yeah. yeah. So I feel a little bit less guilty now about not going to see that after my moaning before. It's just there. Uh, just meh. Alright, have we got then any more new releases to talk about? Yeah, I've got one more to talk about. I went to see a preview of a film out in cinemas on Friday called The Way Way Back, starring Steve Carell, uh, Tony Collette and Sam Rockwell. Here's a clip. No, I know I keep asking you, but when are we getting new employee t-shirts? Two years from uh, yesterday. No, all joking aside, this makes me self-conscious about my body. It's not a place that I want to be... Disappoint me, kid. You're late. Plan on making a habit of this. What? You're fired. But I just... You make a valid point. Welcome back. Benefits. You waste an exorbitant amount of time. You know that? Suit up. You don't look too pumped. Come on! Let's get pumped! This is the place where dreams are made or destroyed. Depends on how you feel about working at a water park. Um, we have a situation over at Harpoon Lagoon. Is it a homicide? Yeah, it's a homicide. I knew this day would come. I'm gonna stay here, in the booth no one comes to. Okay, so that was a clip of the way, way back, and... James, tell us about this. Okay, basically, it's one of those kind of summer coming-of-age teenage stories. It's from the producers of Little Miss Sunshine, uh, and you'll notice some of the same cast uh, appearing in it as well. It's actually co-written and directed by Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, who also co-wrote the script for the George Clooney film The Descendants last year, which I watched this uh, week in preparation for this and didn't like it at all. I'm not going to talk about that now. Basically, it's about a shy 14-year-old called Duncan. He goes on a summer vacation with his mum and his mum's new boyfriend and his daughter. So it's kind of two families coming together. The mum's played by Tony Collette. The new boyfriend, the stepdad style figure is played by Steve Carell, who is brilliant as an absolute dick in this. He is just a horrible stepdad who keeps being over familiar. And at one point, really early on in the film, he has this conversation with Duncan about how he sees himself on a scale of 1 to 10. And he tells him, no, I think you're more of a 3. Yeah, that's the kind of stepdad we're talking about here. They go out to a um, uh, Steve Carell's character's beach house for the summer. Uh, it's I think it's kind of in the Hamptons, basically. A lot of rich, middle-class adults get together, including people like Rob Codrey, uh, Amanda Pete, Alison Janey, uh, who's been in The West Wing, Juno, um, Away We Go. Love Alison Janey, and she's absolutely fantastic in this. So while the adults are getting together... Um, basically in a kind of spring break for adults type affair. Uh, Duncan starts 
falling uh, a little bit for his next door neighbour, a girl who's a year older than him uh, living next door. But the most important part of his summer is he comes across this water park, Water Whiz, and he ends up getting a job there. And the park's run by a guy called Owen, uh, played by Sam Rockwell, who becomes this surrogate father figure for him. And that's that's just the real heart of this film, is Sam Rockwell as this Peter Pan never quite grew up water park manager just passing on his wisdom uh and trying to get Owen, uh, trying to get Duncan to come out of his shell and in the clip that you know we've just heard that's just an example of Sam Rockwell who just owns this film completely I've still never seen Sam Rockwell be bad in a film including the fact he's the main uh, he's the main villain in the Charlie's Angels film and he's brilliant in that <laughs> as well. Yeah, he Sam Rockwell is one of those actors who I can just sit and watch whatever he's in. Moon, uh, recently, one of my favourite sci-fi films ever. Uh, and he basically plays two very different characters in that just by, you know, without makeup or anything like that. He just becomes two different characters. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, where he plays Chuck Barris, the quiz show host who claimed that he was also a CIA operative. Fantastic in that. It's just Sam Rockwell is just one of those brilliant, brilliant actors who always puts in a great show. And he does it so fantastically in this. He is basically worth the price of admission alone. And then you've also got other great people in this, like uh, Maya Rudolph, who we were talking about Bridesmaids just now. Um, Maya Rudolph plays the the bride in Bridesmaids, basically. Uh, she's also in a way we go. She's fantastic in this as the kind of the water park employee, the assistant manager who's actually keeping the park running because um, Owen is just living up in the clouds, having fun. He's basically his whole idea is he's just there to have fun while he runs the water park. In some ways, I think this is a almost a little. It reminds me a little bit of Adventureland. Um, but I hated it. Well, I didn't hate Adventureland. It just bored me immensely. Whereas this film was very funny, very touching in places as well. And I enjoyed it as much, if not maybe a little bit more than Little Miss Sunshine, actually. Really, really loved this film. It's out most like, general release-ish on Friday. You might struggle to find it in some smaller cinemas, but it's definitely worth a watch. Um, this is I, I keep coming across I'm making my list of the years and like keep coming across well this film is this year's such and such like you know Blackfish last week was this year's imposter for me um, this is this year's safety not guaranteed for me that really charming quirky American independent film full of great characters great writing um, about growing up over a summer absolutely loved it excellent um I believe that's all for our new release review this week, is it not? That's right, yes. yes. So we will have one final pause for you, and then we'll be back with the last segment of the podcast, which is the same as last week. We will recommend you something to watch during the next seven days or so. So, recommendations for next week. Uh, Jerry, what are you... What format and what film? Okay, so I'm going for Netflix this week. And 
I'm going to go for a USA one, which if you haven't if you have Netflix UK but you you haven't figured out how to get US Netflix, it's piss easy. Uh, yeah. You can do it really easily. Um, I was going to try and avoid talking about Dread, which was added this week, because uh, we always talk about Dread. So I was going to recommend The Road, which was mm. uh, a few years ago now. But I'm going to recommend it with the caveat that you should read the book first because the book is magnificent. Oh, I'm too lazy for that, though. Oh, the book is magnificent. <laughs> yeah, but I bet it's long. It's because... not. It's, re- it's really short, the book. Yeah, oh, is it? The book is yeah. really well... short, and the the film okay. is... I imagine if you hadn't seen the film, uh, if you yeah. hadn't read the book before you saw the film, you wouldn't understand what was going on. Whereas if you read okay. the book and then you see this as a dramatisation of the book... It works much better than it does on its own, if that makes yeah. sense. Okay. I okay. think I'd prefer the film to the book. I think really? the, books, the, the prose in the book kind of irritated me a bit. I uh, see. Yeah, some people I know, like, a couple of people who said that, said that it, it, they didn't like the style, but I really loved that book. Okay. Yeah. James, what are you recommending and on what format? Okay, I'm giving you something. If you've got a little bit of pocket money, we're just coming up to payday. If you are going to uh, HMV today, you're sure of a big surprise. Um, well, actually, next Monday. I'll, Star Trek Into Darkness is out, if that's the kind of, if that's your bag. I wasn't that impressed by it. I'm not going to uh, buy that. Instead, released for the first time ever on Blu-ray on Monday, Disney's The Little Mermaid. Fucking cracking film. <laughs> uh, it, it comes from that period of Disney where they just made... For me, they made classic after classic right up there with um, the, the kind of best years of Pixar when you had Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. Just really great family films full of entertainment. Little Mermaid's a brilliant little story. Um, some lovely hand-drawn animation at times. And it's got Under the Sea, you know, which is possibly the best Disney song of all time. Uh, I'd, I'd struggle to think of a better Disney song than Under the Sea. Uh, what do they got? A lot of sand. We got a hot crustacean band. Yeah, it's brilliant rhyming couple. I, I genuinely love The Little Mermaid. It's a great film, and it's finally on Blu-ray. So that's my recommendation for this week. Okay. Um, who hasn't gone yet? Me. Um, Owen. The, the <laughs> from me guy. Uh, yeah, me. Yeah, him. Go on in, Owen. Okay, I'm going to recommend from um, Love Film this week. I can't remember whether I've said. Looper is on there already or not? Um, but if you if I didn't, then watch Looper. But another one that's recently been added is uh, End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal from last year, which is a sort of found footage, documentary, recovered uh, images type film. Um, following it takes Tukok. a few liberties with those. It does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's a very good film. Um, so yeah, watch End of Watch if you've got Love Film Instant. Okay. Um. I am picking something from television. It won't be at uh, 3 o'clock on Saturday morning on ITV1. Columbo, death lends a hand. <laughs> Dad, if while I'm taping that. If you're just getting home from <laughs> the pub. for that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, who's going to try their Columbo impression? No, I, no, no I'm going to embarrass myself. <laughs> okay, but at five past midnight on film four on Saturday is Primer. Yeah. Travel film. Try and get your heads around that. Midnight yeah. Saturday is in Saturday night or Friday night. It's, like, it's, Saturday, it's Saturday, technically. 
But Friday night, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Five past midnight Saturday, so Friday night. Cool, yeah. Set that to record. Get your laminated uh, diagram out. <laughs> Have it next to you. Yeah. Get it out beforehand. That'll save you a lot yeah. of trouble. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. And next week we'll be reviewing Pain and Gain, the, the film starring Marky Mark and The Rock. Yeah. And what else is coming up next week, James? Okay, well, next week we also got the first of our new kind of revamp special featurey type things. I will be at the premiere, the UK premiere of a new British film called Jadu, uh, which is, which was is set and filmed in Belgrave Road in Leicester, which is the Golden Mile and the best place to get curry in the entire country. So I'm going to the premiere there, and I'm also, believe it or not, actually getting some time with the stars of the film, whose screen credits include The Darjeeling Express, Doctor Who, and Bend It Like Beckham. So, very, very exciting times for us as we moved one rung up the showbiz cinema <laughs> ladder uh, to getting to Leicester premieres of films. Um, uh, we might also have a review of the new horror film, You're Next, as long as it's showing near one of us. And... Um, and yeah, the same old stuff, what we've been watching, interesting films that we've seen, and maybe us reacting with outrage to some other news story that's appeared on Twitter. Okay, so uh, that is it for uh, this week's podcast. So we'll be back next week at the same time with all your usual bits and pieces. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us, listening, contributing, providing music. God knows what's playing us out this week. Um, <laughs> and yes, like I said, see you next time. The Failed Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics.